Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's performance will feature hair being pulled directly from the brain, the poopy chairs of Birdmen, and we will answer that most immortal question, where is my pig? All this and more on this episode of Created Things. Welcome to Created Things, the only podcast on art and beauty and all things creative, hosted by two good beard boys. I am artist and psychotherapist Jacob Flores Popcheck. I am the small beard boy, and with me is my good and excellent friend, Father Gabriel Toretta. He is the big beard boy. How you doing, Padre? Doing fantastic. Uh, how about yourself? I'm doing real good, man. I'm doing real good. I got my, I got my monster energy drink here keeping me awake for this recording that's great and this, um, and this is one of the dangerous good ones. however i have heard oh yeah i have heard oh, that well, monster yes. is in the league with the beast is that right well yeah there is definitely there was a uh, an evangelical woman who went viral several years back now for this extremely complex sort of da vinci code <laughs> style argument that each individual part of the packaging corresponded to a different prophecy in the book of revelation and then i believe uh, this is this is my understanding, so don't sue me for libel if I'm wrong. I believe she was arrested for oh. storming at a Trump rally shortly oh. thereafter. Um, you know what? Real, These real could happen to anybody. Like real fun lady, but she she ends her video by taking like she's like showing the can like she's on QVC like here's you know this this thing here and here's this symbol there and then she says like hail the devil and bottoms up or something like that at the end and it's so spectacularly weird but i will say this this would not do anything to impress her but i appreciate this um this particular monster energy drink has uh the immaculate heart of of mary right there at the bottom pierced with a little sword so that's pretty cool that's a pretty cool thing that's... it's mango flavored it's so well you know i think i think um the blessed mother is known to have loved man mango so yeah it's one of the many things that we do not know about this woman as the hymn says yes indeed yes so not only of course do i need to be powered through this podcast with energy drink because you know we we both lead very busy lives we also um Adding to the complexity of recording a podcast is the fact that literally you and I are always traveling. We are always at a yes. different part of the country at any given moment. Um, yes, it turns to out this is the fun of being um, homeless and having two <laughs> men who are homeless. Actually, yeah, we are, thus, we are the, two, thus the beards. Thus right, the beards. exactly. Two yeah. technically homeless men. Technically speaking, homeless men. Um, who, <laughs> Very privileged yeah. homeless men, but homeless men all the same. Yeah. Um, and then you have, you know, uh, uh, a podcast. So um, I'm going to, you know, not this episode, but just like wet people's appetite. Next episode, I'm going to be uh, ranking the different flavors of MD 2020. Um, I'm just going <laughs> to give you a little sneak peek. The great flavored wine beverage is not the best okay yeah i would imagine like as far as like prison wine spectrum drinks that that's not up there but i could be it's wrong difficult, so you know. so i currently in my uh americana sojourn across this weird nation of ours i'm currently in san antonio um camping out in a in a all tech library the nation's first all tech library because the wi-fi at my particular airbnb is so terrible where where are you currently father i am currently outside of phoenix um, okay because it's it's what one does i yeah. was hiking this morning and it was Ooh. twenty thousand degrees uh literally mm. everything around me was a gas uh which was incredible <laughs> um but in addition to everything being made of gas because it was melting in the center of the sun, which is what you do um, in Phoenix, uh, I saw these Paleolithic, um, they were not actually Paleolithic, these, these but these ancient um, native peoples um, made these like sort of drawings and, uh, oh, and stuff on... Uh, big rocks and stuff like way out in the desert in the middle of nowhere and they're like 1500 years old um and they're super cool and there's this like natural sort of like defile uh in this big big huge set of mountains that are all covered in cacti and rattlesnakes and things um oh, that like 
even when it's 20,000 degrees and like chairs have become gas, uh, there are pools of standing <laughs> water in them mysteriously. Oh, that's so neat. So it is really, really, really cool. Um, so uh, this is... I would love to do a whole podcast with you, a whole episode on just that part of the country, because I, I've mentioned to you before that one of my more profound kind of personal spiritual experiences happened in the canyons down there. And, cool. and then you're having this really interesting art experience, which of course pivots us perfectly into today's topic. Um, but yeah, that would be a really cool episode. Just talking about kind of like, uh, art and, and faith and stuff through kind of that, that indigenous desert lens. That'd be a really neat thing. Something oh, yeah. my wife can also speak to since she is part native American from New Mexico. So she, uh, oh. she has that whole cultural background to lend. Maybe she could be a guest on that particular episode. That'd be cool. That'd be amazing. Yes. For this episode, we'll though, for this episode, we are talking about kind of weird things. We, you know, so off off air, Father and I were talking about, okay, how do we playfully get into this this idea of all things uh, beautiful and artistic and creative? And and I believe you, Father, suggested talking about, um, and hopefully you can help me cue this up just a little bit, but talking about. Uh, the, the the weirdest forms of art that are personally meaningful or exciting to us that it's it's easy to talk about the crap that's like oh yes very highfalutin and fancy and the you know oh beautiful symphonies and things like that but but it might be fun to just you know introduce people to what the weirdest forms of art we dig are at the risk of alienating people <laughs> yes this is this is exactly right it's like when you tell people like, oh, I, I love to listen to Bach, um, then people say like, oh, isn't that marvelous? Like, I too like to spend a lot of money on wine that I can't taste um, and <laughs> things like this. Um, but if you, tell pe if you tell people like one of my very best friends in the whole world uh, told me in all seriousness, in a moment of vulnerability, he said, I just have to tell you, I honestly like to listen to Chumbawamba's Tub Thumping sometimes. Oh, I love that song. Shame. I love that song. No, shame. no shame. No judgment. This is a, absolute this is, shame. <laughs> no judgment. Absolute. Can we, can we start like a spread shirt with that quote? No judgment. Absolute shame. Absolute shame. <laughs> All right. You don't need me to pass judgment on you to know that it's wrong in your heart. Well, this that's is, of course, sort of coming from the man who like, spent a lot of high school listening to like that whole album like i got that album oh, and wow. listened to it like all the time oh it's a, it's terrible i know i still have memorized all the stupid like they they had this thing where they would transition from song to song with these like stupid uh like lines of recorded dialogue and like scenes from movies and things terrible it's it, yeah, that's Chumbo that's Wumb a perfect example of the kind but of the thing we're point talking is, about today, this though. is the exact exactly exactly right like um I would never dream of judging, even if somebody should be completely and utterly ashamed of actually liking Chumbawamba after puberty's over. Um, but <laughs> we all have to admit that we have these things, um, and they're worth talking about. And you and I have been sort of talking about in, in preparation for setting up this podcast, what the definitions of beauty and art are. And that's something that we, you know, that's really like a lofty topic and something that's difficult to break down. But one of the, the tentative definitions that I had sort of thrown out there was this idea that um, beauty in particular is, is the fingerprints of God on different elements of creation and that because of the different charisms and gifts that we have i am able to there are certain you know fingerprints that are really really visible like hyper hyper visible like for instance in in the mass we as catholics would say that you know god's fingerprint is, is right smack there in the middle of the mass unmissable but then they're kind of smudged up thumbprints throughout creation that maybe i only have the lens to see this one and you only have the lens to see that one and and through artistic pursuit and through kind of sharing our mutual experiences we expand each other's lens and enable one another to see more of god that's that's kind of my personal take and and that's why i was so excited about talking about this today because i think talking about um sort of off-kilter, non-mainstream, weird things that we find personally beautiful kind of opens the door for us both to do that for each other, to kind of learn more how each other see the fingerprints of God and also kind of um, promote that concept in a really cool way. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. 
So how about we do this? Why don't you take us off with the first one then, Padre? Why don't we why don't we just do our top three each? Okay, we we sort of narrowed it down to top three. And and actually before we, we jump into that, I just was curious, how hard was this for you to do? Because for me, the hard part was not narrow was not coming up with three, it was narrowing it down to three. Because I'm the kind of terrible millennial that finds awful things endearing. Like I'm the guy that that you know, there's a direct sort of line between uh, dogs that look like they were hit by a truck and the dogs that I find cute, like as uh, the uglier they are, the more valuable and adorable and endearing I find them. And that's exactly the same way I am with art and culture. <laughs> so it was actually hard for me to narrow down my top three weird things that I find beauty in. What about for you? You know, there was there was one that I automatically knew that I wanted to talk about. Uh, and then, and then the other two sort of came in a moment of revelation and I stopped thinking about it and thought, I'm just going to go with these because this is perfectly it. So, nice. um, so I just, I just let them well up and then move on. Nice. All right. Well, let's start. Uh, we can, you know, in a classic kind of Buzzfeed way, let's start top three and work our way down without further ado. <laughs> Drum roll, please. <laughs> My number three is the Adult Swim show Aqua Teen Hunger Force. This is such a weird dark horse take. This Dude, is such a weird thing. Have you ever seen the show? Like when I was less than sober at like 3 a.m. in the morning for like 10 minutes before even in yes. that state, I became too disturbed and turned it off. Yes. Okay, this so is literally a Dominican this... monk pitching that Aqua Teen Hunger Force is his top three here, which I love. It's it's unbelievable. It's so amazing. It's uh, So everything you said about this sounds like it's pretty close to like the ideal way to be watching this, except for like you kind of made it sound like inebriation was necessary to watch it, which sounds like base calumny. Um, <laughs> even if it, even if it suits the material, base, uh, base calumny, uh, no judgment, all shame. All of the above. Yes. Yeah, that's, go. that's, these are, these are the, these are the three stages of ratiocination. Um, Tom's quite says so don't blame me. Um, so listen, <laughs> so this is this adult swim TV show that was playing like, I don't know. I was in college. I'm old. Okay. Just be cool. Uh, it was, well, that's why you have a big beard. That's why you're a big beard boy. Cause you've had more time to grow your big beard. Precisely. Also, it, it's pulling it uh, desperately down from the top of my head, um, which is painful. <laughs> actually, it turns out that you actually have hair being pulled through your brain, but I wouldn't worry about it anyway. It's fine. Um, so the thing is, so this show, it just kind of immediately hooked me, you know, uh, it's this very weird, the episodes are like 15 minutes long or less or something. I can't even remember how they, I remember watching it when it was on TV, but like, I can't even remember how they packaged and delivered them because there's this totally weird time that doesn't fit like a, the, the normal like clock of a tv show which in fairness um, is a lot of adult swim stuff it, it's fair. weird sort of pseudo of segments yeah and they exactly. become they become even more deconstructionist as the night progresses and as the uh inebriation of the viewership increases yeah this was like like aqua teen hunger force was sort of like well, I kind of like the Venture Brothers, but it's also like kind of normie for me. But then you're also like maybe like Robot Chicken is just a little bit too much. Like everybody around me is on meth, you know? Yeah. Um, so Aquaman Hunger Wars occupies this like very pleasant middle, you know, where it's like weird but doesn't require drugs. Um, so, yeah. So the idea of the show, right, is that you have like um, a ball of meat whose name is Meatwad. Uh, right, you have a living... Thing of fries, whose name is Master Fry, Master Frylock. Uh, no, Frylock. Sorry. And then, uh, and then you have uh, Milkshake, whose name is Master Shake. And uh, they're detectives who literally never detect anything, and they live in suburban New Jersey. Uh, and that's the entire plot of the show. Um, so I love this show for various reasons. One of the reasons I love the show is because. Um, it appears to be constitutionally, physically, like the possibilities of nature are such that it is impossible for a woman to enjoy the show. <laughs> 
don't know why it is. And then this is partly why I think the show is so amazing. Uh, not because I want to be surrounded by things that like women can't enjoy, but because it's such an incredible wait, mystery wait, to wait, me. Wait, 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 hot take, hot take. Hot take. There's a, there's a celibate monastic who enjoys things in which women cannot partake. I am I shook this is. I know, I know this is weird. I just, I need you to bear with me for a little while, okay? Like, I'm being vulnerable here. All right, I'm, I'm to sorry. expose, you know, hey, and then here no, you are. No judgment all saying, shame. like, maybe it's because of your whole freaking way of life. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, though, is the thing. But, like, the thing is, I, I have been kind of obsessed with the show now for, like, well, I mean well over 10 years i mean since it came out so this would be this would be like 15 years plus um i have never met a woman who could even get through like a minute of it and i don't and like i can't process why it's so completely extremely skewed in this way you know like normally That's you can think so of like oh well there's like there's like this one woman and she likes it and this but like no the experiences are always the same so it's like when i was in college the woman i was dating like uh i would watch them and like choke to death with laughter i mean i would be like holding my holding the literally holding the arms of my chair so as not to fall out of my seat laughing <laughs> and then she would just be and i i it took me a while to process this because of being naturally selfish and also because i was hearing laughter coming from outside of me as well and it took me a long time to realize that it was because she was just laughing at me and oh, found the show to be one of those incredibly insufferable which turns out to have been repeated every single time I've shown it to a woman ever. So, um, Oh, that is fantastic. I can't solve it. That's a mystery. I can't solve it. I mean, it just seems that like human nature is such that if I propose to you talking milkshake, getting involved in petty larceny because of, um, two people from the moon who are also drawn like space invaders from the eighties, uh, that this is just something that like the human heart should rise up to, you know, that I want to rise <laughs> to meet you, you know? Um, but what is it? So, okay. So on a, on a deeper, I want to take this idea that we have that, that we can find kind of beauty in these fingerprints of God that only, you know, we have the particular uh, respective lenses to see. I want to take that to its fullest extent. So, so you, I know you're speaking tongue in cheek and saying, oh, you know, it's be, you know, the human heart should rise to it or whatever else, but what, what is it about your human heart or what is it about your particular masculinity to, to reference your whole male female dichotomy thing that, that responds or resonates with this? Uh, on such a level because obviously it's it's had an impact on you that it did not have on me so so tragic by the way you know, it is tragic well there's a lot about me that is tragic what can i say i'm glad you brought it up yeah. um that'll be next podcast episode right. this whole um, podcast is a long long-term <laughs> slow burn intervention for my tragedy uh good well i'm glad we've already we've already established that publicly because secretly that was my plan all along good. um i think it's because uh, so like, even for me, the show was difficult at sometimes because, uh, it's this, I mean, it's this very postmodern thing. Like it's constantly kind of tracking these figures who are sometimes kind of cute in the, in the way that they're drawn and the way that they act. It's kind of like, there's all this, they're, they're often kind of like torn apart or like they become ugly in some sort of weird way. Things are always changing shapes and like having strange things happen to them. Uh, and so for a while I was thinking like, is this just kind of ugly for ugly sake? Is it kind of like tearing up, like, tearing up things we love just for their own sake, which is like bad. And I, and, and is in the end, like difficult to watch and unpleasant. And I think it's, it's not actually, it's this, uh, what I think that is so perfect about the show, which is it has this like totally per perfect kind of like whimsy, this like lightheartedness um, about uh, like everything that we take seriously. Mm. Um, so it just kind of, it, it, it's so constantly showing you this kind of like whimsy hilarity uh, that's a constant thread kind of like running in and out of everything in our actual human life. You know, it's a sort of like, I really um, love that. I, I love that because, you know, I, it, maybe you'd see this as tangential, but I, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down, you know, for a long time, um, you know, as an artist and, and even more so in my psychotherapeutic practice, like I encounter people a lot who treat this Christian idea 
of Memento Mori, you know, remember your death, remember that all things are kind of fleeting and ephemeral and this too shall pass as this super morose, like tragic, sad thing. Like we have to separate out and be sort of ascetic. And, and the way I've always sort of thought of it, which I recognize is kind of a, a weird countercultural way to think of it, but is, you know, if I'm on vacation in, you know, if I'm backpacking across Europe or I'm vacationing in Mexico for a week, or I'm, you know, touring Australia in the back of a, a VW, you know, I, I'm not taking anything too seriously. I'm relishing every part of that experience, knowing that I'm just a visitor, knowing that my home isn't here. And, you know, even if the, the car breaks down halfway through the desert of Australia, or even if I get bitten, you know, stung by a jellyfish in Mexico or whatever else, you know, that becomes part of the story that becomes part of the experience that knowing I'm not staying here knowing that I'm moving on contextualizes into a pleasant and meaningful experience. And I, I like to think of the Catholic experience as being a hitchhiker from heaven, kind of just making his way through creation for a brief time. And I feel like this deconstructive sort of laissez-faire, I sound really, really highfalutin and douchey right now. I recognize that, but I, I still think that the kind of deconstructionist, almost nihilistic sincerity of what you're describing speaks to that mentality of take nothing too seriously because nothing here is too serious. You know, there is that, right? Like, so there's, um, I mean, there's the constant, uh, reality that like, uh, behind and underneath everything is death, right? That like, that's, that's, that, that's that. There's this, um, Don DeLillo novel from the eighties is kind of classic American postmodern literature, uh, called white noise. That's all about like the, the white noise of, um, the perpetual unavoidable fear of death. Like the, the Karen's way death is Karen's dead. screaming white noise. Karen's screaming. Like the noise I don't of know white what that people. Means. That just, it good. fell oh. apart. It was supposed to be a good joke. Oh, I, I see what apart. you're doing. You okay, good. me That's... like a baby giraffe. I feel terrible now. That's I incredible. I did it. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a baby giraffe. No, that's terrible. Baby giraffes are adorable. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, so, so there's that, like there's one take that like the, the, the perpetual presence of the reality of death is this like, is this, um, you know, canker at the heart of the rose, this, uh, it's this, um, sickness that, that doesn't go away, you know, that kind of saps the meaning out of things or, uh, it's, as you say, this kind of perpetual reminder, um, that like I, uh, that that what we have here is in fact not final and permanent. It's real. It's beautiful. It has a dignity of its own, and we should love it in inappropriate ways, you know. Um, but that like I, uh, we're kind of we are kind of directed elsewhere at the same time. Um, like the opposite version of this, right? rather than uh, so there's the, the kind of the white noise thing about the fear of death, or you know, for instance, like um, Saint Philip Neri. Uh, at, story attributed to him uh is that um somebody was telling he was like playing chess you know and somebody's telling him like uh what if what if i told you like right now that like the second coming is happening in one second uh and like and then and you and everybody else was gonna die and be taken to judgment what would you do and he like picks up his piece and he moves it just like yes that is thank that so accurately portrays something i'm always trying to get across i love that i love that so much so you feel like aqua teen hunger force encapsulates that charism this is my, this is my point okay i'm dropping it i'm dropping it like it's hot you can't resist it everyone knows it's true i'm done okay what's yours that oh so i'm moving on to all right give me a drum roll i'm gonna move on to my my number three all right my number three is nicholas cage movies how is this number three what's coming to number two and number one well you know i i feel like don't give it away but yeah this is, okay but this is enough. starting this is starting hot well you started with aqua teen hunger force so i feel like anything i can say would not top it i mean nicholas cage has at least won like an oscar or two at some points in his career he has never played a character who is actually a ball of meat only metaphorically <laughs> exactly exactly yes yeah nicholas cage has real balls of meat and that's why i love him because no i i was joking before about you know finding kind of a um a certain romanticism in 
like the awkwardness of of increasingly ugly dogs and things like that and and i i just find the value of sincerity and intentionality really really beautiful um, and i think there's a lot of artists in the world today who do things because they think people will like them or because they think it would be cool or there's some cachet to it. I mean, we kind of look forward to this every every fall, right? Every fall, there's a string of movies that you know were only made to win an Oscar. There's no artistic mm, merit to right. these very artsy films because they're not really art. They're, they're propaganda. They're trying to achieve a clear purpose, a very didactic one-to-one -one intention. Um, there's no there's no value or intentionality or sincerity in it. And and Nicolas Cage, I think, defies that so, so beautifully. I saw um, his movie Pig last week in which I am pushing you off off recording to see because I unironically think it does deserve at least an Oscar nomination. Um, and it's one of his less cartoony films. It's a really sincere like exploration of mortality and, and the arts and things like that. But um, does anyone even... ever in the in the show in the film say something like pig i mean the pig calls i'm saying my point is pig calls yeah yeah he does sort of scream my pig i want to know where my pig is i mean no spoilers it's low-key john wick with instead but instead of a an assassin and a dog it's a chef and a truffle pig is sort That's, of the, everything the about that makes pitch. sense is totally intuitive Doesn't it, i wouldn't though? worry about it uh i don't know i mean I'm with you. Like the, it's funny. I never like put this exactly together, but like, of course, I've seen a bunch of Nicolas Cage movies because, yeah. like, you know, I, I too like punching and kicking. Um, <laughs> and um, it's the weird thing about them is like how sincere they all are. Like, I'm trying to think. He doesn't. He doesn't really have any like ironic like does he have any ironic movies is he a well, totally he's, unironic bro that's the thing he's coming out with a movie i mean depending on when our listeners are, are checking this episode out i mean I'm, I'm probably dating myself but um he's coming out with a film i think it's called the unbearable weight of impossible talent where he plays an alternative universe version of himself um, okay and just kind of experiencing the 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 weight of being you know this incredible artist but i think that you're right. In in all of his films, there is this profound respect for exactly what he's doing um, to such a degree that he knows it's going to alienate 99% of his audience. He knows it's going to make him a joke, but he personally believes in it. And it's crazy. Like every single time he does an interview for a movie that he's done, he says a similar thing, which is, you know, how inspired he was and how steeped he, you know, how much he steeped himself in, in like the ridiculousness of whatever the source material is. So he made this movie um, based on the Fantasia short called The Sorcerer's Apprentice, where he plays wow, this that seems like a mistake. He plays this deranged wizard, like coaching a kid in the in the macro science of of magic and mm. and like defeating Merlin's apprentice. It's terrible. It's it's yeah. An I was awful, say, this sounds really really bad. Awful film. Profoundly but, lamentable. But it has all these homages to like vintage Disney films. And he did this interview where he's like, I was just so moved by the craft that you know great storytellers like Walt Disney put down and I bought an original uh, puppet of Pinocchio from the making of the film that's possessed by a demon and I put it in my house and I studied it because I wanted to get close to what it was to be a craftsman like that and then like not not a year <laughs> that's a pretty, later that's a pretty good Nicholas Cage I'm not gonna thank lie you, is, thank you thank you man I can thank tell you, that man. he's number three on your list yeah exactly yeah number well just wait for my other impressions no but he uh he, he then like not a year later he did what's probably the worst film I've ever seen and the only film I've ever walked out of a theater from um, called uh, Season of the Witch, where he plays uh, a crusader trying to escort a witch from one part of Europe to another part of Europe in order to, to stop the the plague. And it's awful, yes. awful movie. But Everything again, about this makes sense. Yeah, Crusaders he, but, did that. Right, That's exactly. Science. But he, <laughs> it's, but he did. I love science. My, uh, my favorite part of science was the Old Testament. Um, yes. But, but he, uh, you no, know, he he even then did this interview. I'm so fascinated by you know religion and how it is permutated throughout history, and I wanted to show what someone struggling with with religion in a date and time where religion was omnipresent. It's just there's nothing this guy does not take a hundred and fifty percent 
seriously. And, and, uh, you know, as someone who, who wants to make great art, I really respect that because I don't think this guy ever questions, will anyone think I'm an idiot for doing this? He believes in it and he pursues it like crazy and he believes in it so deeply. And I find that like wildly inspiring and, and even Christ-like not to put it too far because there is this this commitment to saying hey i see the vision i don't need you guys to see the vision if the if, I, if i'm right that the vision is as beautiful as it is you will just discover it like you know jesus saying like you don't need greater signs than me like this truth will stand for itself and i think there's something to be said for artists that way you know if you got to really explain to people why the hell your art is so rad chances are it's not that rad but if you really believe in it, if you're willing to just kind of step back and let it exist for itself, then chances are there's something really incredibly poignant there. And, and I just really revel in that and all of his stuff. So that that's why Nicolas Cage films are my number three. But seriously, do see Pig because it's awesome. Pig! I, uh, you encouraged me to, to, to watch it. And so I watched the preview. Um, and when he says like in this sort of menacing maybe like he's slamming somebody up against a wall kind of voice uh he says give me my pig back yeah uh, i want my pig i want my pig i started laughing so hard i thought this is going to be the funniest movie of all time but then it like the thing ends and it's like not a joke no and i was profoundly confused and that's the thing um, none of it's ever a joke we have this like cynicism and I, and it points out my own cynicism as an artist, because I, I like to think that I'm this very kind of, as much as a Catholic can be in a morally conscionable way. I like to think of myself as this very open-minded hippy dippy kind of feller. And, and yet I watch his stuff and I go, surely this must be a joke. And it's, so it becomes like a, almost a spiritual exercise for me legitimately to be like, whoa, this is not a joke to this person. Why am I such a cynical narcissist that I'm going, this is a joke. Why, what, what's wrong with me that I can't immediately observe the intended sincerity here? And it forces me to like expand my, my heart in that way, in a way that I don't like, in a way that's uncomfortable for me and, and force me to explore my own kind of biases and cynicisms as an, as an artist and how much I, I seek approval and how much I want other people to, to love my shit. And he doesn't care. And I find that intoxicating amazing amazing so can you can you trump my number two or my number three with your number two what do we think uh, yeah let's let's jump back in time did you know that there were forms of art and entertainment before netflix was invented what was i know it's crazy but what is das? so uh <laughs> we're gonna so we're gonna jump back to uh, the turn of the 15th and 16th centuries to my boy, Hieronymus Bosch. Not to be confused with Hieronymus Glove, the founder of the Glove-themed theme park from SpongeBob SquarePants, right? They're not the same person. I'm pretty sure they are the same person. Oh my God, um, that's amazing. Yes, okay. I think Bosch is just Dutch for Glove. I'm sure that's the same thing. Okay, cool, um, yeah, you would know because you study like medieval Germanic languages basically it's for exactly, a living. That's all you need to know. It's all yeah. you need to know. Um, an important fact about Hieronymus Bosch that everyone should know, um, so he died in 1516, which is cool. Uh, that meant that his uh, 500th anniversary of his death was, you know, like in 2016, which was super cool. They were all kinds of sweet shows about him and everything. Um but the most important single thing you need to know about Hieronymus Bosch is that he's from a town that begins with apostrophe S hyphen. What? And you just need to know that. Okay. Just like, think about it. Just I feel like that is actually going to kind to of establish who he was as an artist, because I want you to define for, for entry people, you know, who this, who this feller was, but I did, you know, kind of look over, um, who this guy was. I, I mean, I knew who he was, but I wanted to like reacclimate myself to some of his art before we recorded. And uh, my God, what what weird Gonzo stuff. So the fact that he comes from an from a town that starts with an apostrophe S hyphen, I mean, it explains a lot. It just, I feel like it really, he's, he's the original like form matching function, you know? Um, <laughs> and uh, so listen, so, so like, what does Hieronymus Bosch do? It's like, okay, um... Picture 
So I had this, uh, there was this guy who sat next to me in Japanese class in high school. Um, right, which is a normal thing that people experience. To everybody. Um, and just like every kind of like high school boy who's maybe studying a nerdy language and like maybe kind of a nerd already, he would like doodle in his notebook and they would be kind of things that were sort of like half Lord of the Rings, half Dungeons and Dragons, half, half like hardcore, like half hentai anime. anime. It's yeah. like we've got so many halves going on here. Like, I don't even know what we have left. Um, uh, now, you know, the guy who sat next to me doodling these things, um, and you know, you could kind of like scoot your chair a little bit further away because it seems like there's something like wrong happening here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he wasn't a good artist, this guy I'm talking about uh, in high school. But like, imagine if you were doing that, only that was like, basically the major thing that you did with your life and you invented a kind of art that nobody had ever done before and you appear to have like literally had no training except for what you gave yourself and you're like one of the century's best artists you're describing of course N- oh i thought you were describing nicholas cage also nicholas cage yes um <laughs> you'll never believe it he's self-taught um so <laughs> so like so if you look at Haran's Bosch painting, so his most famous one is, um, I mean, he's got a lot of famous ones, but uh, one of his most famous ones is called The Triptych of the Garden of Good and Evil. It's huge. Um, I've never seen it in person because it's in Spain. I've been, never been to Spain. Sad. Oh, um, you've, never, you've but, been everywhere. Uh, and you haven't been to Spain? Uh, you know what? Like some lucky listener is going to have the privilege of sending me to Spain here. Um, we'll so do a live worry. episode from Spain. Single, It'll be amazing. If our one listener is listening right now, and if you happen to be rich, please send have us to big Spain. Bucks. Yeah, big pockets. Uh, we'll do an episode Spain. from the in Goya Museum. We'll do an episode from that one weird bar where all the, the heads of the bulls and the bullfights are. All we'll, of the above. We'll run, with, we'll run with the bulls. We will, we will run with it. And there will be bulls there. Yeah. Um, it'll be amazing. So uh, so the triptych of the Garden of Good and Evil, um, it's really big. And like in the middle panel, um, you have, so it's like really tall and big. And then the like b- most of the bottom area is, you're not really sure. It looks kind of like people are having fun. They're happy. Um, there's like 400 naked people um and like uh some of sounds like a saturday night (laughs) (laughs) indeed sounds like Uh, last friday (laughs) so like some of them have apples on their heads some of them are riding fish some of them are like riding centaurs and unicorns and things Mm -hmm. um it's very hard to understand there's these all these weird shapes there's and then like in the background there's these like insane kind of fantasy buildings that sort of like flake and uh bubble up like they have bubbles and they have flakes in the building it's all very strange um and then on the right hand side the right part of the triptych is hell um so you've got like all of these kind of like weird monster creatures that are like half clam half hag half knife half ear again a lot of halves we have a lot, a lot of halves. halves it's important to understand how many halves go into making a Hieronymus Bosch painting um and like there's this one amazing part passage in the it, it, there's also like um it's top to bottom figures basically so there's probably like 500 figures of various kinds oh, um, wow. in this thing it's huge and there's just a ton of figures and um so this is one absolutely amazing one where uh there's like a bird humanoid this is like a it looks like a person but it's a bird head um and then it, feet are like a turn into a jar i think and he's sitting in this big yellow chair and he's eating a naked person Mm-hmm. And again, like, again, well, this all tracks with my last Saturday night. Yeah, pretty much. Fully. Like this is all pretty much pretty normal kind of Texas stuff. But um, but then you notice if you if you notice a little bit more closely, you'll realize that underneath the yellow chair is dropping out like a kind of a bubble of water that has another like naked dead person in it. Uh huh. And the more that you learn about like, you know hyphen s or apostrophe s hyphen the rest of his town and uh, the netherlands in like the end of the 15th and uh, end of the 16th uh, century and whatever end of the 15th beginning of the 16th century you realize that that yellow chair that this like bird man-eating soul monster thing 
it's a poopy chair. Oh, a this poopy was what chair. wealthy people had a ha, would have like a fancy piece of furniture that was like a poopy chair. Stinky, uh, stinky, wealthy, wealthy. That uh, that you would sit on. So what's happening is that this like bird monster thing is sitting in a potty chair and he's eating a soul and pooping out another one right into hell. It's amazing. The whole thing is like this. You're just like this. This is what I needed in my life. And then the left hand side, which you think like, what is there left outside of this? The left hand side is this like big open tableau. Um, there's like. Um, a pond with all these sort of like half-formed crustacean monster lizard things. Um, there's a there is a giraffe that might also kind of be a unicorn giraffe. It's amazing. That sounds it's awesome. It's pretty I clearly want, I want that like, in my uh, in my house as a pet. Every I, I want to be. I low key um, side note want to be Frida Kahlo and own like a hundred weird animals around my house. And if I could add a giraffe corn to that mix, I'd be a very, very happy and fulfilled man. I would respect that. Cool. Um, and it, so it's kind of representing like, like creation at the beginning, you know, and like the, here there was only three figures in the whole thing. And it's, and it's Adam and Eve and Jesus Christ is holding their oh. hands. And then the giraffe unicorn is somewhere in there as well. There's this pond that's like all full of life. Um, many of them kind of weird monster creature things that uh, that in fact you would basically it's as if he had traveled to the 20th century and saw like all these prehistoric fossils and then like made oh. creatures to look at to look like them. That's, uh, so that's cool. basically what he did. Only he did not, as far as I know, have a time machine. So it's amazing. So it's like creation. It's creation. He's, he's showing you these like weird kind of like prehistoric creatures and things. And then there's like Adam and Eve and Christ. So this is really cool because, you know, so far the other two um, examples that you and I have brought up, Aqua Teen Hunger Force and Nicolas Cage, we we are inferring um, kind of a, a transcendent beauty or value or charism in those things. This is the first thing we're talking about so far that is explicitly religious, but is explicitly religious in kind of this gonzo way. I don't know much about Bosch, what what was his artistic intention with this kind of uh, countercultural weirdness? Because I mean that that's weird now, but I mean I got to imagine at that point, especially in that part of the world where everything is kind of still life and warts and gray. If you look at a lot of the art from that period, I mean he's he's got to be just a rock star. He was a big deal. One of the best things about Hieronymus Bosch is that we know basically nothing about him. Oh, yeah. He he had a he was hugely successful. He had a ton of followers. Um, he becomes super influential in like Dutch art uh, and then like European art generally. Um, has all kinds of all kinds of imitators, who, some of whom are real geniuses themselves. Um, but we don't know where he comes from. I mean, we know he comes from apostrophe s hyphen and then the rest of the town name. Um, <laughs> but like artistically, no, we don't. We know very little about him. We we. Um, uh we know what day he what year he died we don't even know when he was born um we don't have anything about him we don't have where any... did he come from where did he go and how did he get there cotton eye joe that's thank you that is my point that is my point the point is we have no idea and so like that <laughs> part of what's so fun about bosch is that like you can look at it and you just think that there's like there's so much of too much in all of his paintings that like it just completely explodes any sort of like simplistic narrative about like, this is what's happening in this painting, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and you just, you also, um, he, he does the most possible violence to your kind of like um, crappy museum goer who's like, oh, look, it's a famous painting. I'm going to take a picture with my phone and I'm going to walk on. And I thought it was great. And they spend like, you know, what is it? Like people spend in museums like an average of like 10 seconds per painting, you know? Right, yeah. Um, Bosch will destroy you. You literally cannot even see the entire thing in 10 seconds. Like he will oh, destroy you. You have, to, you have to spend hours with this thing because it's just, there's always more of more there and there's always too much of too much more. Um, I'm reminded of just, a... I'm reminded of an Oscar Wilde quote where he says everything in moderation, including moderation. I feel like that's Precisely. applicable here. Yes, this is this is how Bosch does it. And so, like, we know from his his work. I mean, he he 
he paints very devout images. Um, <laughs> some of them are less tripped out, but even like his most devout images, like he has this really amazing adoration of the Magi that like, if you, ju if you just look at it quickly, it's basically pretty straightforward. Like, um, you know, turn of the 15th, 16th century, uh, Northern European sort mm -hmm. of like uh, adoration of the Magi. Uh, but then if you like take one hot second longer to look at it, you'll realize it's still got all of his weird little creature monster beasts like yes. all over the place. Um, it's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. He just, there's something about this vision that he has that he just absolutely resolutely refuses to see the world and the mysteries of Jesus Christ as something that are like simple or that you can ever be kind of like ho-hum done with. So by um, by introducing... Um, things that that force the viewer to kind of take a step back and question and be weirded out he he by extension forces the viewer you think to to consider how not commonplace some of these very uh, commonplace religious depictions tend to be he forces you to look at it in a new way and kind of bask in the implicit weirdness of the narrative because you're first introduced to the theme of weirdness with the imagery that's at least what happens, you know, like they just, that's at least performatively, like when you, when you encounter one of his works, that's what happens to you if you let it like do its thing on you. Um, so again, like what was he trying to do? I have no idea. I think it's totally re reasonable to see that he was a uh, very devout and faithful Catholic um, and, uh, and that like his art was not transgressive you know he was he's not trying to like problematize uh the existence of jesus christ or whatever so somehow for him these all of this together is part of his understanding of how the world works and like him making these pieces of art is to show that to you like do you think he has seen something and he wants you to see it and sometimes when you look at it you're like oh my gosh <laughs> Why I, did you want me to see this? And I love it. That's I know we're. I'm, I'd be getting us off track by asking this, but I, I, I think it's an important question to ask. I know we're biased. Obviously, we're we're too deeply faithful Catholic men. You're a priest, for God's sake, literally. But do you think biases aside, that there is something about Catholic artists that leaves one more open to the weird? than in other christian denominations i mean i'm thinking here even of i i got the um i got the great pleasure of being able to see uh an exhibit that was a collaboration between the andy warhol museum in pittsburgh and the vatican on all the pieces of catholic art he did especially in his later life when he really returned to the, <coughs> the church um, and they were just gonzo i mean they were just bizarre but they were so incredibly reverent and i don't know that i have seen and again this could be my bias this could be my weird little bubble but i don't know that i've seen radically um defiantly weird depictions or or uh, announcements of faith in other Christian denominations, let alone, frankly, other religions as much as I have within the Catholic church. Is that a trend you observed too? Or do you think I'm missing something? Mm, I don't know that I'd want to generalize it like that, to be honest. I mean, because you get lots of pretty weird stuff. I think what's interesting, the reason that I find this, some of the kind of like real boundary pushing, like I'm just doing what feels right kind of stuff um, with people who are like very serious, like, um people of faith um and i guess some of the people i'm thinking i guess maybe all the people i'm thinking of are catholics is that um like they have this really profound love of the truth so it's not just kind of like um like transgression craziness like this stuff is all nonsense or whatever like there's a sense of, the, of a real trust in the kind of durability of the world and the durability of like the good things of jesus christ so i can kind of like push on them and like pull things a little bit and like, like because i monster beasts like um, because i have the the safety net so to speak of the grace of christ of the truth of christ i can do more complex uh acrobatics on the trapeze so to speak because i know there's something there to kind of reinforce and catch me maybe something like that maybe something like that just a just a lot of maybe i just want to put it that way like a sense that that like that jesus christ is not fragile um, and so like, I can, I don't have to approach him and his mysteries with this kind of like very nervous delicacy, you know, like, um, 
you know, this, this bothers me a lot about some like contemporary Catholic art, you know, like I, I'm excited in some ways that like, uh, that a lot of kind of contemporary Catholic artists are sort of like rediscovering the joys of kind of, um, classical realism, you know, um, trying to explore more kind of representational types of types of, of, uh, religious art than right. Right. A, seen a Christ in, you know, who's like authentically mid- Arab and Jewish and these kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even certainly that, but also, but also even just like representational period, dude. Oh, I mean, okay. Like, you know, cause like think about like most of art that you've seen from like the sixties and seventies, you know, or think of like, um, if you were unfortunate enough to go to, uh, to go to a place that uses like an, like an organ Catholic press, uh, like breaking bread hymnal, like that kind of stuff that's <laughs> on it, you know, just these like weird purple alien beasts, you know? And so it's breaking like, bread anyway. hymnal is not your, your number one weird art thing i know it's weird not my number one jam it's (laughs) it's weird to say it but fact um and like anybody with the problem with some of this kind of like realist like contemporary realist stuff um that you'll see from like very devout and you can tell they're like very devout catholics who are trying to present that really devoutly is that you can end up with this sense of like a real fragility about the faith that like for instance like I don't want people to think that Christianity is kind of like doer and miserable and mean. And so like, I want to show the joy of the saints. And so, well, so like, rather than like doing the hard work to like really think about how to like visually represent something that is essentially non-visual, like joy, (laughs) um, you just have this like realistically depicted, like say Virgin Mary going like, <laughs> you know, and and she just usually looks. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Father, 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 like you disaster. Really quick. I'm sorry. Sorry. You 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 broke up really quickly. What was that sound again? I I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Continue. For the record, I don't believe I broke up. I think right. you just wanted me to hear it. Hear me say it again. Lies. Tr- uh, lies. Well, fake news. Lies, sad. Truth. Sad. Sad. Bad. Exclamation point. So cool, I fey, just fey. think that like. Like Hieronymus is a really useful, like he's a, he, he teach, he's like a revelation. I mean, he's a revelation for us that like, you don't have to be afraid, you know, like you don't have to be afraid. You have to have a vision that's really deep and fearless. And, uh, if your vision is like shallow and the deepest kind of spiritual joy that you can think of is, ah, then like, don't paint, don't, you know? Um, or if you have a deep vision, but you're afraid to like realize it and it kind of gets like half pulled out, you know, like half, half delivered or whatever, don't paint until you can, don't do this until you can get over the fear, like work on work. Something's wrong. Something's wrong in your heart. Fix that. Bosch gives you both. That is this like uh, real essence of art. He's he sees Jesus Christ and and the world through Jesus Christ in this terrifyingly, astonishingly deep way, and he is radically fearless in showing it to you, whether you want to see it or not. See, I feel like this perfectly encapsulates our friendship, you and I, because when you describe something weird that you like personally dig— I end up getting so inspired by the inherent mic dropness of the language that you use, which side note was is part, not obviously the whole, the whole, the whole was because of our deep friendship, but part of the reason why my wife and I asked you to, to uh, celebrate our, our wedding and, and perform the, uh, the, the homily at our wedding. Um, but I'm always so struck by kind of the inherent mic dropness of the way you say things that I run out and I'm, like right now, I'm probably as soon as this recording is over, gonna like probably stay up too late tonight, looking yes. and researching Hermes Bosch. You, on the other hand, I tell you to watch Pig, or read the copy of The Prophet by Khalil Gibran that I bought for you, and you two years and two years later, it's sitting on your shelf collecting dust because ultimately you don't love me as much as I love you. That's a fact. Listen, I was, I was part of the reason why I agreed to this podcast was so that I could like publicly show that there's an imbalance in our friendship and that I just don't respect you that much. That's, that's, there it is. You know, there we are. I'm glad we had this moment. This was very beautiful. No judgment, all shame. All shame, all shame though. (laughs)
And by the way, that copy of the prophet is actually in Chicago. And guess who's not in Chicago? Okay. Oh my! What? Why do you punish me so? The well, prophet is I mean, an excellent book. It was almost. It's not my number one, but it was almost my number one because I love it so so much. Okay. Well, listen. Maybe someday. Okay. Someday. Like I said. Someday. <laughs> why don't we give us? Why don't you someday, give us your number two? somehow somewhere my number two is we already so okay this is actually good because we we i was already referencing kind of my my hitchhiker through creation attitude towards memento mori and this is a very literal um depiction of that <laughs> uh and one that i'm experiencing right now uh being on the road with my wife as i am um my number two is <laughs> <laughs> roadside uh, roadside attractions roadside attractions roadside like traditional vintage americana route 66 black tar aggressively shitty roadside attractions are truly one of my favorite things this is a so so father gabriel and i have have off air discussed before um our our love-hate relationship with the book uh, American Gods by Neil... Is it Neil Gaiman or Neil Gaiman? I never know. I think it's Gaiman, but I don't know. Okay. Meanwhile, meanwhile, our one listener is going to be like, it's Gaiman, how it's dare Gaiman. you? It's oh! Gaiman. I'm not listening to this podcast anymore. But he has a he has a great quote in American Gods, um, his, his, his book, inexplicably written by an Englishman about the American road trip experience. Um... And, and one of the characters is describing just exactly what I feel about roadside attractions. He says, in other countries, over the years, people recognized places of spiritual, I'm adding spiritual, power. Sometimes it would be a natural formation. Sometimes it would just be a place that was somehow special. They knew that something important was happening there. And that there was some focusing point, some channel, some window to the imminent. And so they would build temples or cathedrals or, or erect stone circles. And in the USA, people still get that call, or, or some of them, and they feel themselves being called from the transcendent void. And they respond to it by building a model out of beer bottles of somewhere they've never visited, or by erecting a gigantic bat house in some part of the country that bats have traditionally declined to visit. Roadside attractions, people feel themselves pulled to places where, in other parts of the world, they would have recognized that part of themselves that is truly transcendent. And they buy a hot dog, and they walk around feeling satisfied on a level they cannot truly describe, and profoundly dissatisfied on a level right beneath that. Nice. I love that. I love that. And it, it does describe my experience of these things so much, because there is something so... I, I did have the, the the real gift of being able to travel through Australia once, um, teaching theology of the body, and I, I got to go to um, Ayers Rock or Uluru, as the Aboriginal peoples call it, and um, you're just driving through red desert, just flat red desert for a million, what seems like a million miles, nothing, and then suddenly out of nowhere, this red rock monolith just juts out a thousand feet high out of nowhere um and it you know for that reason was a was a sacred site to aboriginal peoples for a long time because it's just so freakish that it shows up out of, out of nowhere that way and there's something um similar in roadside attractions that you're driving through the bayou and you see you know as my wife and I recently saw this weird gator petting zoo with live gators that have all their nails painted with different colors of nail polish to separate them out and, and, and categorize them by name and color or, okay. or driving through Texas and there's a gigantic concrete pig or through Tennessee yes. and there's an iron dragon next to an abandoned uh, Ferris wheel. Like these things are so kind of freakish and out of place. And again, I know I'm kind of coming at this stuff with, with what I fear is kind of a tiresome, um, faux mystical lens, but I, I really do mean it sincerely when I say, um, you know, Chesterton talks a lot about um, the kind of freakish weirdness of the incarnation, right? This this moment that Christ um, is conceived, is entered into the world, and then, you know, 
from there on, he's sort of like this, this great rock being, this is my quote, that Chesterton doesn't say this, but, but it refers to something Chesterton talks about, where he's sort of this great rock that drops into the water of creation and everything else just ripples out from him, that it's such a seismic splash that nothing before or after um, can, can be the same at all. Um, and, and on a very, very small micro scale and, and a sort of icon of that truth, I feel like roadside attractions become that because you are so used to the monotony of desert, 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 bayou, 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 forest, forest, forest. And then suddenly, you know, the world's largest pitchfork or a concrete statue of Paul Bunyan with the head of a chicken or a gas station where you can apparently, you know, sensibly meet Sasquatch just shows up out of complete freaking nowhere. And that, that feels to me like a little freakish, weird, Hieronymus Bosch-ish, if you will, icon of Christ showing up in the middle of the nowhere of existence and, and just the, the inherent weirdness of that being something sacred, I find really, really profound. So like from this wall drug in North Dakota would be like the biggest betrayal of the, of the glory of the incarnation, right? <laughs> because like, which is, which is something by the way that I can 100% get behind because I drove through, I drove through there one time or through it's in North Dakota, right? I think so. Yeah. I drove through what North Dakota one time. And like, I nearly, I nearly became a homicidal maniac, which is not something that I normally feel um, pulled to do um, in my life. But because you know, you you enter the very beginning of this extremely boring and very long state that's going to take you like well cool over a day to drive well, like, like basically a day to drive through, um, and you start seeing these signs for like wall drug thirty thousand miles away, and then like that there's just one every like five miles, and then you finally get to it, and it's just this like stupid nineteen twenties like department store, the same um, old wall drug, yeah, and it's the most in and then there's like a couple more signs afterwards it's like you missed walt rog and honestly it's it just it's one of the most torture torturous experiences of driving that you can possibly imagine it's so awful uh but like i'm interested in that because it's because it's the opposite of what you're saying like that that the joy here is the kind of like sudden springing into being of something that's like marvelous and whimsical and real and like and terrible and exciting yeah and terrible. and terrible like like there's something um i once got in a fight with a fellow student at franciscan uh, I'm a survivor of Franciscan University. Um, you know, ask me about my trauma off air. And, and this, this girl was, I mean, very sincerely, I'm not trying to pick on her, but she was talking about like, I, when I pray, I just imagine how handsome Jesus is and, and all these kinds of things. And I said, you know, there's like, like a scripture that specifically says there was nothing physically to attract us to him. Right. That like, you know, and this is a, this is a God who really alone among world religions, mires in ugliness and filth i mean he puts blood uh, he, he bleeds and he weeps and he puts mud in people's eyes and he he spits on people and puts his 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 you know he gives people sacred wet willies and it's just you know freakishly ugly and transcendently beautiful because of that and when i see this giant concrete pig in the middle of the desert that you can buy a, a barbecue sandwich out of that's inevitably going to remind me of that same kind of beauty and ugliness so what I'm hearing you say is that the next thing that needs to happen is that you need to have like a 400 foot statue of Nicolas Cage standing near the concrete pig screaming, where is my pig? Oh my God, that'd be amazing. It would also be amazing if Nicolas Cage was in any kind of Bible movie. I would love to see, maybe not as Jesus, but like as Pilate or something. That would be incredible. Tell me that well, would be amazing. You just, maybe you just need to have Nicolas Cage visit the concrete pig. Maybe we we can start there. We can start. We can there, start there. We can start there. But this is I like. I mean, this is it's an interesting idea that like that the. I mean, it's related to what you're saying with like Bosch and some of these other guys, like some of these other things that like the that there's nothing to be afraid of in the humility, like the splendor of humility. Um, that like these things are actually splendid, um, precisely because they are nothing special. Um, and that like, that's what makes them special. In fact, that's what makes them kind of amazing. Uh, and, and what can make them kind of a revelation in their own right. And I think that that sums up our conversation really nicely today too, because, you know, there is that, that, that value that you're talking about, that inherent specialness and weirdness is something that 
you know, I think we'd all benefit from, I think if we can get into this exercise of trying to infer that there is God, that there is the fingerprints of God in this thing, however obscured, however smudged, I think we can use that to build community. I mean, that's something I'm always working with my my clients to do, you know, to be able to see what's beautiful and what their kids enjoy or what their partners enjoy. That's something that I'm always, you know, working with, you know, other artists that I that I talk to where I don't like their crap and they don't like my crap. And but but we can still work together and we can still inspire each other. Um I think that that charism is so important to being a Catholic and just being a human that I'm, I'm glad we're talking about. Unfortunately, I mentioned at the opening of this podcast that I'm recording in a weird library in the middle of San Antonio. The, the librarian in question is literally banging on the glass door of where I'm recording because she wants to go home. So we have done our first two. You have, you, we, we, you've done your first two, I've done my first two. We both have our number ones. We haven't mentioned what they are. And maybe we can save our number ones, ironically, for a part two. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. Long drum roll, hold your breath. Yeah. It'll be great. It'll be fantastic. And in the meantime, I'm Jacob Flores Popcheck. And I'm Father Gabriel Toretto. Go create beautiful things. This has been Created Things, an art, soul, and mind production with Jacob Flores Popcheck and Father Gabriel Toretta. Production by Kyle Meineke and Jessica Flores. Theme song by Federico Carranza. For more on the podcast and on its hosts, visit artsoulandmind.com. <laughs>